Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. talked about community roots. 
relationships with the people that God has given us. I'm so grateful last week that uh, my pastor, our senior pastor, uh, Lynn, and his wife, Robin, came and shared a message. 39 years on marriage, and it's amazing. Cool. We look at the other relationships that you have, your family, those you've been given, your super fam, that's the family that you choose, your friends, your community, your workplace. And as we've gone through this series, we've shared the same continual truth over and over again. And it's this, that until your resolutions, that's your hopes, your dreams, what you're believing God wants to do in your life, until your resolutions result in rhythms, in priorities, in actions, they will never be realities. They'll never be your actual life. Until your resolutions result in rhythms, they will never be reality. But praise God. Somebody say, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. The opposite is also true. When we choose to place our hopes into rhythm, to put them into practice, they burst onto the scene in our real life. Now, as we look at this, there are some people who, in the name of God and wanting to follow Jesus, they just try to get through life building personal roots. They say, it's going to be me and Jesus. And they have an amazing devotional life and a prayer life and a worship life. But they never branch out to the interdependent relationship with the body of Christ. And so they never experience the security of accountability and commitment and friendship and support and devotion and maturity that can only be formed together. And so as a result, because they have roots that are deep but not wide, they face instability. They're not able to stand when the hurricanes and the winds come in their life. They're easily swayed by opposition and trials that pound against them. It's one side of the equation. Now there's another group of followers of Christ that have decided that they just want to build on communal roots. These people find a friend or a pastor or a counselor, or a teacher, or a mentor whose life they greatly admire and they latch on. They watch every message, they read every book, they get around them as much as they can. If they know them in their life, they want time with them constantly. And they don't know they're doing it, but what they're doing is a shortcut believing that if they just spend enough time with a strong tree, they'll become strong themselves. So as they go down this journey, they always want more one-on-one -on -one time with this person. They always need their counsel. They always need their approval. They always need their soul. And because they haven't yet developed the personal rhythms of friendship with God, of stewarding their physical and their emotional health, there's two things that happen to the person that wants to go wide but doesn't go deep. Number one, it's never enough. It doesn't work. Because only Jesus can ever satisfy the hunger of our hearts. That leader will never be able to do enough. And this precious child who's reaching out, just wanting to be loved, never stays content or okay for long. They need another meeting, another counseling session. And through time, they grow restless. And if it's left unchecked, that restlessness turns to resentment against that leader, that group, that church. And then they go on looking for the next leader, the next group, the next savior, and the cycle continues. Mm -hmm. That's true. There's a second thing that happens. 
if we go wide, but we don't go deep. This beloved child finds that they step on the toes and alienate themselves from the very community they were meant to belong to. See, they talk about wanting community, but they don't see that what they have is tunnel vision. They so much want to be rooted in with these people they admire, they miss the fact that they're making community all about themselves. Mm. See, they see the group as who can help me and who's a threat to me. And so because of this, this person has a lot of problems and offenses with lots of people. And when you get the picture of the root system, because they've not gone deep, but they've gone wide over time, they begin to disrupt the trees around them. They form ripples above the ground, sometimes in the way of gossip or division, separating of people. And they trip up travelers everywhere they go. In fact, I think we have a picture of that tree there. <laughs> See those? Those are fun on a mountain bike. A lot less fun when you're walking. And you find the person that wants community but won't go deep with God. They're in a place where there's always a spirit of offense. And they don't mean to. But they trip up travelers everywhere they go. They want to be strong. They want to be accepted. They want to belong. But we can't go wide without going deep. So praise God, he made a way for both. And what I want to do in this last message of our series is I want to look this morning at the specific way your tree provide shade and fruit upon the earth. See, your tree's going to be different than mine. You've got a different plot in the forest that is all yours. That God, in a unique way that you pour out his love to other people. I want to share this morning a calling that is built to last. Now, as we do this, I believe Jesus will meet with us if we come with expectancy. Amen? Amen. So I want you to take your hand, put it on your heart, just repeat this with me. Say, Jesus, Jesus. I don't just want to go deep. I also want to go wide. Give me a community and a family where we can grow together and go together. Build me deep and wide. If you breathe that, say amen. Amen. Pastor of Transformation Church and author Michael Todd, he says this. He says, no one has ever become great by staying comfortable. And it's good, isn't it? No one has ever become great by staying comfortable. Now, this week, we sent out an email from Overflow Church to you that I hope you got, and it was three marks of a life of greatness. I want to encourage you to check it out because it is a solid companion to what we're talking through this morning. In short, here's the idea. You and I desire to be great because we were made to be. This desire for greatness, for a legacy, for a life that matters and counts is knit in us by nobody else than the Creator himself. You look at the time of the disciples, and it says in multiple occasions in the Gospels that they got into the same argument over and over, which one of them would be the greatest. And you know what I find funny? Is that Jesus never corrects our desire for greatness. Instead, he directs us to what it actually looks like. Jesus never corrects our desire for greatness. Instead, he directs us to what it looks like. Now, in the email that came out this week, I shared how greatness in our life is marked by three things. That greatness is childlike faith that trusts Jesus without hesitation. That greatness is love that pours itself out serving others. And that greatness is courageous compassion that challenges the status quo. Now, I want to encourage you to check that out. But this morning, I want to equip you to make that kind of life of greatness a reality. 
We began our message series sharing how the blueprint for our life, though we are all different, we all share the same blueprint. That all of us, in its truest sense, were made to live, to receive, and release the Father's love to everyone, everywhere. Our life has the same vision. But the house called your life looks vastly different than mine. See, we have a different way that we receive and release love. You and I have different gifts and different passions. We know different people who are experiencing different needs, and we're going to be called to go different places. So there's this unique song right now that is knit in your soul, whether you knew it or not. Some of you, you're musical, and you didn't even know it. There's a unique song that is knit in your soul that is crying to come out, and it's a song called greatness. I want to share three ways that we step into that this morning. The first is this. We want to live a life of greatness that's built to last. You've got to discover the, the life you dream to live. Discover the life you dream to live. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I want to give you a newsflash this morning. The desires of your heart. Anybody want to know what those are? What are the desires of my heart? It's him! It's him! I don't care who you are or where you come from, the desire of your heart, what you're actually longing for, is him. We're starving, and he's the feast. We're thirsty, and he's living water. We're homesick, and he alone is home. We desire him, and I love this because John chapter 3, verse 34, it says that he has chosen to come and give you his spirit without limits. What does that mean? You desire him more than anything, and he gives himself fully to you today, regardless of where you've been and what you've done. That's good news, amen? Mm -hmm. Now that said, there's a unique dance that you desire to have with your father upon planet Earth. There's a particular dance that you desire. Your heart, when it's healthy, has a life that you long to experience. It's what makes you come alive. It's what makes you want to get out of bed in the morning. It's what you can't shut up about. Now, some people I've talked to through the years, when they've heard messages like this on greatness, they come to me after, they say, Pastor Chuck, I've got a problem. I said, what's that? And they said, you know what? I don't have a particular dream. There's lots of things that I can get up in the morning and be content and happy doing. And I'm like, man, that's a great problem. That's amazing. So you say, what do I do? If there's lots of things that I can do, here's my advice. Just start. <laughs> See, my God has no problem narrowing your lane to a specific target if you boldly start moving in a general direction. Let me say it again, because somebody needs to hear it right now. Right now you're wanting to dismiss the rest of the message, because you're like, I don't have a dream for my heart, so I'm off the hook. No, listen, if you don't have a particular dream for your heart, then here's what you need to do. Just start. Bloom where you're planted. My God has no problem narrowing to a specific vision for your life if you would move in a general direction. The, the Bible talks about how his word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Anybody remember that verse? I love it because the actual picture it's talking about is a lantern that only illuminates the next few steps of the path. It's not a floodlight. And sometimes what happens is we hijack God by confusing faith with absolute certainty of everything that's coming. There's no trust in absolute certainty of everything that's coming. There's a whole lot of faith continuing to walk down a path when you can only see the next few steps. <laughs> Pastor Michael Todd, he goes on in his book, Crazy Faith, to say it this way. He said that God longs to meet us in the intersection of faith and obedience. I like that. Now that said, there's some who would say, I don't know my dream, but there are many hearing my voice right now that if you would be willing to be honest with yourself, you know your dream. 
Maybe it's gotten put back on the shelf and it's been collecting dust. Maybe you put yourself out there and hope the bird has made your heart sick. But if you're being honest, you know, yeah, this is the thing. If I could have this life upon the earth, if I could have this life with Jesus, man, I would never be able to shut up. I would never be able to stop dancing. And so to discover your dream, I want to ask two questions this morning. The first is this. I want you to ask the question, what is the impact I want my life to make on planet Earth? It's a question of legacy. What's the impact I want my life to make on planet Earth? Second question is this. What do I want God to do in me, with me, and through me? This is a place we start to get honest. So what's actually your dream? The thing you haven't even dared to say out loud to anybody. Is it to start a business? Is it to write a book? Is it to work to end the foster epidemic? Is it to fight on the front lines of human trafficking? Is it to be a counselor to bring the Holy Spirit to the forefront of a critical issue like mental illness? Is it, maybe you're a spouse and a parent, you say, you know what, priority number one right now for me is to establish deep roots with my family in tangible ways. Or maybe right now you're looking and saying, you know what, there are other dreams that I know God has for me, but priority number one is I've got to get in shape in my body or in my soul because I'm finding that if I'm going to be built long to last, I've got to get my house in order. What's the dream that God has given you? So here's what I want to do. Project time. I want everybody in the room to close your eyes for just a minute. And I want you in this moment to dare to imagine a life with God that you would absolutely love. I want you to start to get a picture in your mind. What is a life with God that you would absolutely love? As you're picturing it, I want to ask, what's different between that picture and where you are right now? Look around in the image of your mind and see what looks different. What's there that didn't used to be there? What's not there that's hindering you and holding you back now? Where are you in this vision? What does it look like around you? Who are you with? What are you doing? I want to encourage you in this moment to just allow the Holy Spirit to come upon your heart and give you eyes to see. What does a life look like that you absolutely love? That's the dream he's put on your heart. <coughs> Recently, as I was walking with God in prayer, that's where he downloads things to me. He said three words to me in rapid succession. He said, dream big, write it down, say it out loud. Dream big, write it down. Say it out loud. So the question I want to ask as you're picturing this is what dream is it time to stop keeping locked in the prison of your mind and it's time to write it down and it's time to say it out loud. It's time to take it off the shelf and believe in it again. The first step to a life of greatness is that we have to look and see the life that we're dreaming. All right, that you can open your eyes because there's a second step to take. We consider the life we're dreaming of and then what? We get in motion. Now, do I have any football fans in the house? Football fans in the house? Awesome. We're an arts church. There we go, guys. Well, I am a football fan, and at the Super Bowl game last week, they put a commercial on toward the end, and they're like, football comes back in September. And i got to tell you, I just had a moment. I needed prayer for just a minute. I was like, oh, September. So in that, it probably was no surprise that I've been thinking of this picture of greatness. Football came back to my mind. And this picture of being in motion, is this, if you ever look on a football field and you see a time the entire line is set, all of a sudden you'll see one player or many of the plays start to move laterally behind the line. What they're doing is they're running in motion. And there's two things they're doing in that moment. One is about alignment. 
They're changing their position on the field and aligning their body in the direction they believe their coach has called them to go. It's about alignment, and the second is this, it's about momentum. See, the ball hasn't been snapped yet. They can't run forward, so they begin running across the field, anticipating the snap, so that as soon as it's ready, they're already in full stride. Somebody needs to hear me this morning. Though you know it or not, Jesus right now is under center in your life. And he is ready to snap the ball in amazing dreams, but he is calling you, dear child, to get in motion. Ecclesiastes 9.10, it says this. It says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. So people say, I'm at the place where I want to know what a dream is. I'm going to say again, bloom where you're planted. What do you do today to get in motion? Start moving. Start going. Stop theorizing. A lot of times when I, when I dream big, I have friends that will come and go, what about this? What about this? What about this? And we need those. They keep us from stepping into landmines. But somebody this morning, you're in a place where you've theorized it 45,000 times. In every way you can kind of go, and now what you need is a lamp on your feet and a light on your path, and you need to step out and move and trust your father. We've got to get in motion. So I want to be practical. You're in a place that a minute ago I asked you to close your eyes and start to see a dream. I prayed the Holy Spirit to start to give you a picture of something. Now, how do we move it? This next slide that we're going to put up, I'm going to ask a few questions. For some of you practical people, you need to screenshot this slide as it comes up, and you need to go home, you need to get this on a piece of paper and leave lots of margin between these three questions, because this will start to move your dream into rhythms that make it a reality. Here are the three assignments that I'll give you. Number one, you ask the question, what needs to happen for my dream to become a reality? So you closed your eyes, you saw a picture. Probably there's a gap between that picture and where you are right now. What needs to happen? Is there a skill you need to acquire? Is there something you need to learn to be trained in? Is there a person or a group of people that are doing this really well that you need to get around, that you need to interview, that you need to spend time with, that you need to walk in community with? That's the first thing you're going to do. The second one, listen, this is the place, only place on your page you get to complain. On the second one, I want you to list everything you can think of that is standing between you with this dream and reality. Is there any place where you're like, I don't have enough money, I don't have the right job, this isn't coming, that person's a jerk. You just write down everything. <laughs> then when you saw the picture between where your feet are currently standing and the reality, you say, what is it that needs to move in order for it to take place? And then this is the last part, you ready? As you look at those, let God sift them. Some of them might surprise you. Some of them you might be healing for, okay? Some of them might not be on your list. You just need, like, you're upset with somebody. You need some healing, and then God's like, you can take that off the list. You're putting something on their shoulders. You shouldn't. But there's a lot of things you're going to see that are actually practical. And then what I want you to do with these is you're going to break these down into smaller, manageable goals. So you start looking at saying, well, I have a dream of this, but before I can get there, I need the finances, or I need to live in a new home, or I need a new job. I'm going to say, great, what's your next step for that? And it's there that you begin moving. The Bible says, do not despise small beginnings. That said, I want to say it this way to you. Your dream life is accessible, but it isn't automatic. Your dream life is accessible. You can get there. The Holy Spirit in you is ready to take you there. That's why you put that dream there. That's why it's burning within you. But it isn't automatic. So yes, we need conviction. We need a dream. But where we build confidence is through consistent movement and motion. One more time, Pastor Michael Todd writes this. He said, God will do everything we can't, but nothing that we can. He's not going to write a budget for you and take charge of your out-of-control spending. 
He's not going to listen to your young kids tell long, boring stories, so when they're older, they'll trust you with their hard questions. He's not going to whisk you through time and space to get you to an AA meeting. I want you to hear me. Your legacy won't be easy, but it's the only thing on this planet that's worth it. Your legacy won't be easy, but it's absolutely worth it. And God is being so gracious to you and I to not simply hand it to us, but instead to give us his hand so that we can walk together with him down a path where he refines us and builds strength and character so that we're ready to stand within the dream that he's given us. How do we do that? We've got to focus. We've got to stop making excuses. We've got to stop befriending delays. You know what I mean? When you have a pep talk to yourself, you're like, well, I didn't do it. Then it's okay. Me and this delay are friends. We're buddies. Stop being friends with that thing. We've got to start moving. How do we do that? Once again, I want to be practical. I believe that all truth is God's truth. So I don't want to go reinvent the wheel. When I see truth somewhere in the world, I'm like, that. Couldn't have said it better, then I'm going to put it there. So now, that. I want to show you this next slide. It's called SMART Goals. Many leadership places that have come, they've recognized this acronym that you can remember. For five ways you can start to take a dream that you believe from God and put it into practice. It's dreams that are smart, measurable, achievable, realistic or relevant, and time-based. Here's what it means, okay? So first of all, as you're thinking of the dreams of your life, you need a dream that is specific. This is where we move from vague to clear. You don't show up and just say, well, you know what, my dream is to be relational. What does that mean? Relational with who? And how are you going to know if you got there? You could say this. Here it is. My specific goal. I'm going to call or text three people every day to check on them and to pray for them. See, now he's moving into actual action. You come and say, I want to be more relational. I want to be more aware in my community. The way you move that to be specific is once a week, I'm going to host a dinner and invite my neighbors. So you move where it's specific. You can't say, I'm going to live on mission. Live on mission to who? Before you can love everybody, everywhere, it has to mean some specific somebodies, somewhere. Who are they? And how is it that you actually show love? Because the way you show love is different than the way I show love. Our gifts are different. How are you going to do it? That's being specific. The second is you need goals that are measurable. The big dreams in our life don't often happen overnight. There's lots of mini goals that lead us there all the way. So this is asking the question, what are the smaller goals that are on the way to my bigger goal? So I'll give you a perfect picture. You say, I want to lose 50 pounds. I say, great. What's your strategy for the first five? And how are you going to celebrate that when you get there? And when you get the first five, then you're going to get your strategy for the next five. Listen, if you haven't been one that you were in debt, my wife and I found ourselves totally unexpected a few years ago. We lived our entire marriage not in debt, did a home project that flipped us completely upside down, ended up in a debt that became big overnight and didn't know what to do. And through some friends that led us through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, that's what he started talking about. He said, hey, listen, you're looking at this big elephant of a goal. We're going to get some smaller goals, and we're going to celebrate a lot. And i got to tell you, it's a matter of months before my wife and I were out of debt and living in our dream house. That's what God does if you'd be willing to have goals that are specific, but then move to be measurable as you obey. The third one is you want a goal that's achievable. Here's where you ask the question, is this goal something I'm actually gifted in? Is there fruit anywhere on the horizon that this is something that God has called me to? Because this is what God says. He says the way he grows things, grows things in his kingdom is he gives us something and we're faithful with something little and then he gives us more. 
If you have a dream of something, then you don't have any proof. So I can't tell you how many times people have heard that I wrote a book and they come and go, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to do this. I want to be this. I want to be that. And I want to say this in love. It's really easy to say, I want to write a book. You ready? Everybody say it with me. I, I want to write, write a book. book. That was easy. <laughs> I have to tell you that actually writing a book is a little bit different of a process. Then you have to sharpen over time. And so you have to ask the question, is this something that's in my gift set? Is this a dream that God has given me? The next one goes even deeper in that. It's where you ask the question, is it relevant? Is this something that society just says I should be great at? Is this something that all of my friends are great at? I remember when I was in high school, all my friends played soccer. And I was like, that's it. That must be my thing. I just got to tell you, I'm so glad that, that the internet on a broad scope and viral videos did not exist during the two weeks that I tried out for soccer. Because I don't know that I'd be around. It was a disaster. But you know what was crazy beyond that? When I found that I was no good at soccer, I found I was also not passionate about it. It was just something that I saw from my friend group that I felt I needed to do. This is where you ask the question. These goals that I'm seeing, this life that I'm building, is it what ignites my heart and I feel God put me on the planet for? And then there's one last one. And this probably for Christians is the one we most leave off. Because we don't want to put God in a position to fail us. And it's where we get a goal and make it time-based. Many of our goals never come to fruition because we leave them so vague and so open-ended. We put something out there and go, well, just one day, maybe God wants to do this. I want to tell you, if you believe God has given you a dream, you need to ask the next question. God, when? And what I want to promise you is this. If he told you that his word is a lamp on your feet and a light on your path, what I want to promise you is there's a deadline at least to the first step of life. There's a deadline at least to the first mini goal. He says, I want to do this by this time because your God does not want to set you up to fail. Now, some of you are hearing this and you're like, oh my gosh, give me more practical counsel. I've been dreaming and I need to know how to do it. I'm so glad you asked. There's two books that I want to encourage you to read that I have um, that really changed my life. So I'm going to put a picture up of these. And one was the one you've heard me quote a few times, Michael Todd, crazy thing. He's a pastor of Transformation Church. And this is a book all about dreaming big and impossible dreams with God and staying with him to go there. The second book, also from a pastor and leadership expert, Carrie Newhoff. Carrie Newhoff wrote this book, At Your Best, and this one gets super practical. This book was very helpful for me in establishing rhythms. In fact, many of the principles that I've been sharing over the series, God was just pouring fuel on my life through reading Carrie Newhoff. So thankful for both of them. So how do we get a dream and see it come to reality? The first one is we've got to be willing, again, to dream. To get to the place where we unlock it from our head and we say it out loud. The second one, we've got to get in motion. But finally, the third, you want your life to count. You want a life of greatness. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24, it says this. It says, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Every person who has ever walked into a life that can be defined by greatness has known setback and heartbreak and disappointment and failure and opposition. Let me say that again. I read a lot. I look at a lot of biographies. I look at a lot of people from different lives. Every person I've ever encountered that has lived a life of greatness without fail or exception, every single one of them has faced heartbreak and opposition and persecution, and <laughs> setback, and delay, and disappointment. Here's the difference. The great don't buy the lie that God failed or that they're unworthy. 
Instead, when they see setback, they choose to believe that the peak they're headed to is just that much more glorious. Somebody get this. I can't tell you how often in the church we sound like an Eeyore spirit. God's against me. Nothing's working. Everything's going wrong. Unless we have great heartbreak. I don't want to minimize any of that. But the great, when they face persecution, they don't say, God has left me. And they don't say, I failed. They said, oh man, this great life is even greater than I thought. Because it's going to get longer and higher to climb to get there. I can't wait to see the view once I get to the top. So what does a life of greatness look like? What does it look like to never, ever, ever give up? I thought perhaps the best thing I could do is show you some living examples. Todd White. Todd White leads an international healing ministry that was at the catalyst that changed my life. But before that, Todd White was a welder and a recovering drug addict who one time in his recovery program felt Jesus said to him that he still heals today and that he'd be willing to move in Todd's life if he just stepped out. And so Todd, in obedience, went to his local Walmart night after night after night after night, boldly calling for Jesus to heal people. And he laid his hands on over a thousand people before the first hint that God was doing anything. But he didn't give time. Michael Jordan. Six-time NBA champ, five-time season in, uh, MVP. He actually was the MVP of all six of his championships. And listen, with no disrespect to Mr. James, I still believe that Mr. Jordan is the greatest of all time. And before he came and revolutionized and changed the face of basketball as we know it, Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team. But he didn't give up. Walt Disney. Walt Disney revolutionized the world of animation and entertainment and our ability to experience both. But did you know that before that, Walt Disney was fired from his first job as a newspaper for, quote, a lack of imagination. <laughs> Isn't it fascinating that when you look around Disney, there's one poor word to talk about Walt Disney's life? Imagination. I want to tell you right now that there are words that are coming against you because God knows the dream for your life and so does the enemy. And right now there are certain things that people have said that have hurt you and you want to give up, but it's actually your legacy. Walt took something, they said, you lack that? He said, you know what I'm going to do? Then I'm going to form Imagineers. And he changed the entire globe. Why? Because he didn't give up. Steven Spielberg. Spielberg is the multiple-time Academy Award-winning, Golden Globe, and Emmy Award-winning director of some of the most iconic movies we've ever seen. But did you know that before he came back, he got failed out of film school, or rejected from film school, not once, not twice, but three times. I imagine that film school is out of business today. <laughs> <laughs> author John Grisham. John Grisham is the New York Times best-selling author of over 300 million books, but did you know his first novel, A Time to Kill, was rejected 28 times. Stephen King's first book, rejected 33 times. Dr. Seuss, 27 times. But they refused to give up. Albert Einstein, the physicist who developed the theory of relativity and whose name is synonymous with genius, was labeled mentally slow on his permanent education record. And yet, he and his parents refused to take that as the final report card. They refused to give up. Henry Ford. Might know Ford's name. It travels all around the highway every single day. But did you know that Henry Ford, his first two automobile companies, 
failed the proof. But he didn't get laughed. Comedian Jerry Seinfeld was booed off of his first stand-up gig, but he didn't give up. Oprah Winfrey was fired from her first news anchor job, and she was fired for being unprofessional, being told that newscasters don't get personally involved in the lives of their stories. She went on to change the face of how we deliver the news, because she didn't give up. Sir James Dyson, Dyson of the Dyson Bag, who had 5,126 failed prototypes before the first working Dyson vacuum, but he didn't give up. Elvis Presley, anybody ever heard that name before? Did you know before he changed the face of music, Elvis Presley was fired from the Grand Ole Opry and told to go back to driving? I imagine it was only a few years later that the former director of the Grand Ole Opry was back out driving. <laughs> <laughs> Colonel Harlan Sanders, Colonel Sanders of our beloved KFC, was rejected 1,000 times before any partner would agree to franchise with him. I want you to see this. This means the first time he stepped out with his dream and somebody said, that's crazy, it'll never work. Not only did he not give up, he did it 999 more times. Why? Because he had a dream and a vision that he was going in motion and he believed was going to be fulfilled. He didn't give up. This is one of my favorite ones. Fred Astaire. Before Fred Astaire became a, le a legend of classic cinema, he was harshly rejected in his first screen test, saying, can't sing, can't act, balding, convicted. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I call that one a day. Right? Like, Fred was just rude, right? Like, just throw that in. Maybe that's why he's wearing the hat, I guess. <laughs> but I love the fact that he didn't allow himself to be, to be formed and defined by his blemishes. He kept going. He didn't give up. The Beatles. The Beatles were rejected from their first record label being told, quote, they have no future in the record-making business. I want to give a correction. No, they are the record-making business. They formed the record-making business as we know it. And finally, Thomas Edison. Edison, whose museum is right over in Fort Myers, had a thousand failures before his first successful light bulb. And I love this quote that he says. He says, many of life's failures are people who do not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. If you're called to do something that is big, something that's great, something that makes your heart beat and it's a little bit scary, and the reason you haven't stepped out is you're afraid. You're afraid that somehow you're going to mess up along the way or people are going to misunderstand you. You're afraid that somewhere you're going to fall short. Let me give peace to your heart. You absolutely will. Of course you will. But when we fall short, it's not failure. It's God refining the dreams within us. It's him clarifying, it's him burning, and him taking us somewhere greater than we could ever imagine. The year was 2010. I had just graduated seminary. I was looking forward to what my ministry at a church called South Grand Worship Center was going to look like. Surprised to get back from my graduation and find an article on my desk from my pastor about a church planting movement in the YMCA, and immediately my heart ignited. See, I'd always dreamed of being at the lead of a church that was present in our city, that was meeting real and practical needs and on a mission of love to people who would rarely, if ever, walk through the doors of the church. So for the next three years, I dove in with everything I had. 
became a volunteer in our local YMCA. And it started by just scanning membership cards at the front. Before long, they found out that I worked with teenagers. So they invited me to come in and help with their team leaders club. Before I knew it, I was co-leading the team leaders club. Then they invited me to serve on the board. Then before I knew it, I was the chairman of the board of directors. Then we went a little bit further, and I had the honor of being named the volunteer of the year at our campus. So as things were building, there was this dream that we were going to put a church campus in the YMCA. I did months of research. I laid all the groundwork. I wrote the vision. Though it wasn't my nature, I went out of my comfort zone and secured investors to build a website and to get behind the venture we were doing. I met with key Y staff on multiple occasions. I flew cross-country for, for a training conference of this international movement of making a difference in the Y. Through these months, I led our church to a collective, yes, we were going to plant a church in the YMCA. And then on the eve of the decision of going, God spoke to me and said, that's not what I have for you. I want you to send them, but I don't want you to go. You need to stay right where you are. So I sent my friend. And as I sent my friend, I became his liaison. I've got to be honest, guys, I felt like I failed. But I reasoned in that moment that maybe I could help the campus to succeed. But it didn't. After just a few months, we brought them back home. And though I didn't yet have words for it, it's what happens when a dream dies. Sometimes it takes, it takes time for language to be formed. But I felt forgotten and embarrassed. My dream had died. And I didn't know it yet. But all the way back in 2010, God had come under center in my life, lighting a missional spark in me that a few months later would burst into a wildfire with a vision of a life in the overflow. As I got this vision, God told me that it was time to write a book, which was crazy because I'd never done it. But I stepped through the process, and I kept writing. He told me to grow as a communicator, and so I did, both here and abroad. I gained confidence to see vision clearly and to stop apologizing for what I saw. I started leading these messy, prophetic worship services right here on this platform. In fact, I've got to tell you, the worst review that was ever written by our church was at one of those services I was leading. Yay me! I stepped out with two of my closest friends as we began writing songs of worship that led us to the Strata Center in Nashville and Haiti and now raising up a generation of songwriters and worship leaders. I linked arms with the greatest pastors and friends on earth stepping into the unknown changing the course of a completely healthy church to step out into a completely untested and new, five-fold, diverse body called Overflow Church. We wrestled together for months with the vision and the mission and what it would look like to be missional in our community to take the simple gospel to the ends of the earth. And it led us here. And I've got to tell you today, I love our church. We're in motion. But hear me. God is just getting started. Amen. And for somebody who wants to hear that and romanticize, I need to give you a different lens for your dream today. Because here's the truth. For most of the last 12 years of my life, 
What I have felt is not confident and victorious. It's been everything within me shaken. It's been wondering if what I'm hearing is right or I'm just committed to this crazy, naive dream. It's been humbling. I've been unclear on the timing and what the destination is going to look like more times than I've been clear. All I've known for sure is with clarity I've always known this is the next step. This is what the intersection of faith and obedience looks like. And time and time again, me and my, fr my friends, we stepped and we said yes. It hasn't looked like or felt like victory. That's the way great dreams often go. Did you know in all of that, it was just this last week, for 12 years, that God leaned into me in my prayer time and said, hey, I want to tell you something about 2010. You didn't fail in your vision. That was when you trusted me to forge something. I want to tell you right now that God is at work doing things you couldn't ask or imagine, but somebody today, you need to take the charge of Galatians chapter 6 where it says this, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Somebody hear me. Your dreams are not being forgotten by God. They're being refined. Your dreams are not being forgotten. They're being refined. That's why we've spent this week's in the series. It's why we make such a big deal about your personal relationship with God and rhythms where you build friendships. You know, it's when I walk alone with God that I get vision and strategy. It's when I walk with him that I come palms down and pour out my whole heart and then palms up and hear his dreams for me. That's where I get vision. That's where I get strategy. That's where I get direction. That's where I know to not ever give up. we got to do that. But it's why we've also made such a big deal about community. I've got to ask you, do you have people in your life regularly that see the glory in you and elevate it? Do you have people in your life that believe in you? And I want to tell you right now, I do. I believe in you. I believe that the calling God put in your life, it's not just you can do it. I believe it's your destiny. That's why it burns within you. I believe that he's going to establish more than you could ask or more than you could imagine. And you and I desperately need to be in community with people that don't hinder our belief in possibility, but they elevate it. We need rhythms of godly community. You desire to be great because you were made to be. And right now, God is inviting you to discover your dream, to put language on it, to declare it out loud. Right now, God is awakening your goals to get them in motion. And right now, your Father is begging you to not ever, ever, ever give up. You desire to be great because you are made to be. Would you stand? My charge this morning is to be very simple. I want you from where you are just to close your eyes for just a minute. And here with your eyes closed, you lay one hand on your heart. And this is what I want to do. A few minutes ago, I asked you to close your eyes and to see a vision from God, a dream. 
I'm going to ask right now between you and God, maybe for the first time in your life, to unlock that dream from the recesses of your mind and to speak it out loud. I don't care if you just speak it in a whisper. I want you to hear it leaving your lips. Right now, here's my question. I want you to speak your answer out loud. What is one dream that God has put on your heart? Tell him right now. God, I believe you've called me this. What is it? What is one dream God has put on your heart? Would you allow yourself to move from thinking it to declaring it? Right now. Would you just whisper to him, Father, this is the dream. This is what I believe you've called me to. This is the life I want to live with you. Got it? Now the second one, I want to go a little bit deeper. I want you to speak out loud in the same way to God one goal that he told you to get in motion this week. One place that he said, this is your first step. This is where I'm going to go this week. This is what I'm going to do right now. Would you speak it? we got to move it out of being theoretical, y'all. God, this is the dream you've given me. God, this is the step I'm going to take this week. hearing my voice. You had a dream. And right now you feel like it's all but done. You've grown discouraged and weary. And you don't know how to resurrect that thing back up to life. <coughs> if that's you, I'm simply going to ask with one hand on your heart that you would raise the other one in the air. Because we want to pray for you. Right now you say, I have a dream, and I feel like it's time. I'm going to ask for everybody else with your hand up. I'm just going to ask if somebody is around you, church, if you're around somebody that has their hand up, would you right now just lay your hand on them, and we're going to agree in prayer. I want to speak to your soul, my friend, that God has not and could not forget you. Your dreams aren't being forgotten. They're being refined. And right now, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I pray for grace over your past. I pray right now for a restoration to come over broken dreams. There's some place that what you've been saying to yourself is I need to just get over it. Hear me, friend, don't get over it. Get through it. There's a difference. Get over it is saying I'm going to take something God planted here and I'm going to pretend that it doesn't matter. Don't get over it. Get through it, says, I'm going to take the hand of my Father. And I don't know how long I'm going to have to keep walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But I choose to believe today that goodness and mercy are pursuing me. They're on my tail, and it's not going to be long before they catch me. And I will dwell in the house of my Lord forever and ever. What does it mean? It means right now with your heart broken. Your heart is free to scream and shout and shake your fist and rail against God. Just don't stop talking to Him. Don't clean it up into this Christian, quasi, everything's fine, I'm blessed and highly favored. I 
and give you the permission to be completely authentic and real before your father. Some of you have been trying to hold it together because you were taught that's what a good Christian does. It's time, beloved one, to come undone. For somebody, it's enough today to say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it. I feel like my dream is like Lazarus inside a tomb. You have to resurrect it. You have to raise it. I don't have anything left. But Lord, I'm still here. And I still got your hand. And I will choose today to not give over it, but to get through it. I ask the Father to give you a revelation of him in your life right now under sins or doing more than you've dared to ask, more than you have the capacity to imagine. I pray that he'd heal your heart. I pray right now that every lie of the enemy that's come against you to tell you that your God has failed you, he can never leave you, he will never forsake you. I ask those lies to come untied right now in your mind and your soul. I command every condemning voice that's come against you to say that you're the problem. Listen, all of us are the problem. That's why we have a Savior. What our heart desires is Him, and He gives Him without limit. Hear me. You're not the problem. He's the solution. It's not that your dream isn't materializing because of something defective to you. Your father doesn't do anything without purpose. And he made that burn out of all the people it could burn in. He made it burn in your heart. Because it's exactly what he intends to do. Don't ever, 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 ever give up. We speak comfort over your past. We speak grace into your present. Grace to walk in faith. I want to remind you that faith isn't a feeling. Faith is a fact. You don't have to stir it up. It's a gift. So right now, would you with your hand on your heart? God, I just received the gift of faith. God, I don't even know what it looks like, but I'll choose to believe you again. I'm not giving up. And right now, in the name of Jesus. I speak over your future legacy. That as the book of your life has already been written in heaven from beginning to end. That you're going to reach the top of that mountain peak. That you're going to see it with your own eyes in the land of the living. That you're going to hear your father say, well done, good and faithful, beloved child. That's what I made you for. He's going to get there with you. He doesn't know how to fail. May you receive the grace and the anointing to live a life that is truly great.